0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here. Super glad to be with all of you today. We've been in a series starting the first of the year where Pastor James and I have been kind of wanting to do like a spiritual inventory of of ourselves and encourage you you guys to do that as well. And kind of like a spiritual checkup to begin the year and some specific areas that we feel are important and particularly important to the life of Reach Life Church. Um, So if you would turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter two with me today. We're gonna continue the series. We're going to be in verses six through 10, and today I want to make uh, sort of a call to be aware, really a a call to beware, to beware. Um, That's sort of a serious sounding thing, and it is, and hopefully you'll see what I mean. Uh, Would it be possible for us to stand together as we read from the scriptures? Uh, Colossians chapter two, verses six through 10 say this, therefore, you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority." Let's pray one more time. Lord, as we've prayed already, uh, I I want to agree with that prayer. And Lord, again, ask that uh, you open the truth of your word to us. We believe that this book is inspired by your spirit. And so Lord, we pray that. Holy Spirit, you would also open our our hearts and minds as we delve in to this book. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. Now, suppose why we just now, while you were sitting down, we heard sort of a commotion in the back, and a group of guys bust in, they're they're covered and have their faces covered in black masks, they're all blacked out and carrying weapons, and they block the doors and bar anyone from leaving. And we are, I I would be horrified. Um, held at gunpoint, while we were all being videoed for a ransom demand. You would have just been taken captive. How would that feel? How would that feel to be taken captive in that way? Well, I pray nothing like that happens in our lifetime. But uh, this morning, the Apostle Paul is warning us through the book of Colossians that we are in danger of being taken captive, actually in a much more subtle way. And I would say an equally dangerous way that Paul warns us about being captured in our minds. About being captured in our minds. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the battle for your mind, being imprisoned with ideas. Uh, this doesn't happen by force or terrorism or anything like that. Again, it's a much more dangerous, subtle kind of progression, but once it has us, it can control every part of our lives. And so indeed there's, there's a battle going on. And we're going to look today at the battle itself. We're going to talk about what's at stake. We're going to talk about how to protect ourselves, um, During this battle, but before we get into look at this battle for your mind, I want to take a look at who Paul was writing to in the book of Colossians to see, does it apply to us? Is it something that we need to be talking about? Well, the letter to the uh, Colossians um, found them in a dangerous position. And here's kind of what it was like. Uh, They had become curious about some ideas. It seems that they had heard and had begun to follow after those ideas being located where they were in that city. They probably had the opportunity to hear lots of different ideas, you know, sort of a melting pot of ideas about a lot of different religions and philosophies. This was a Greek city where lots of religions were accepted and people sought truth sort of on their own apart from the one true God. So that if Christians in that area wanted to hear something other than what they had been taught, they sort of had quick access to it. And it was like a spiritual buffet where truth was determined. Um, by what a given individual or group wanted to put on their plate, right? Versus what was objectively true. Does that sound at all familiar to you? Uh, this is very much, as far as I could tell, very descriptive of Western North Carolina, isn't it? Did you know that uh, Western North Carolina is sort of considered like, and, and Asheville in particular is kind of like a New Age sort of sort of mecca and like the capital of. Uh, paganism and New Age religions and things like that of the east part of the country. Um, Asheville in particular, again, is one of the most religiously diverse places in the United States, and that's great in terms of tolerance, but it's not great in terms of truth. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. Our Our culture, again, especially in this area, has come to see that all religions are kind of true, uh, unless it's biblical Christianity it seems in some conversations and actually the culture would prefer that you have no religion at all but that they see the highest uh, the highest ethic or the highest goal would be to actually be a spiritual person but not religious Again, does that sound familiar to any of us That is sort of the uh, the spirit of our age that's the idea of our culture Well, Paul's context is very much like our context, right and, Further, Paul's talking to the church who's living in that context. Remember, verse 6 says the beginning, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. He's talking to Christians, isn't he? He's talking to Christians in a context that sounds like our context. So we, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, disciple of Jesus, in the church, Reach Life Church this morning, I think this text has a lot to say to us. And so I want us to begin to unpack it here. I think the Apostle Paul's message applies to us. So now that we know that the Lord is talking to us, I want us to listen up because in our outline, um, it's going to be very, it's a very plain outline this morning. There's nothing profound uh, on your weekly, but I do encourage you to take notes because I think the Word of God, not the Word of Terry, but the Word of God has some profound things to say this morning. The first thing I want us to see is if you're taking notes, the Word to the wise. In other words, what is the message if we are wise? What is the message that the Apostle Paul is saying to us? We'll take a look at, at verse eight. He says, see to it. In other words, make sure of this. See to it that this, this happens. This is a really important thing. Make sure that you do this, Paul says, or something bad's gonna happen. See to it. You know, um, it reminds me I was I was a little a little kid. Anybody get in trouble as a little kid. Uh I was a little kid. You guys remember the stickers that they used to put on, like, cleaning products and stuff? Uh, Mr. Yuck? You guys remember Mr. Yuck? Only me. Only me. He's like a little green sticker, and he's like, eh, right? Like, don't, don't drink this or something bad is going to happen. Well, we didn't have those in our house. Apparently, they didn't have them in your houses either. So, I got into the kitchen cabinet uh, one day. I was about this old, and I uh, drank bug spray, like, guzzled bug spray. And so that did not go well for me. I ended up in the emergency room having my stomach pumped, you know, uh, had I seen a sticker, had someone warned me, put the, you know, now they have locks on cabinets, things like that. No, no, not back then. Uh, had I been warned, had someone stopped me, yelled me, don't drink it, grab my little self, don't drink that. I could have been saved from poison. Well, I think This is what Paul is is yelling to us today. See to it. Stop. Wait. Hold on. Don't do that. Something bad is going to happen to you if if you do that. So what is he yelling? What is he saying? He says, verse 8 again, See to it. Make sure that no one takes you captive. He's like, hold on. Well, if he's warning us that we're about to be taken captive, that must be a real danger. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is yelling it to us. So some of you may have different translations than what we read this morning. You may have like the NIV or something like that, or a, uh, King James that says that says cheat or spoil. See to it that no one cheats you or spoils you. I don't. I don't think that's the best translation. I think the ESV gets it right here and it, because it literally means kidnapped. It's like the spoils of war, right? Where nations would come in and and grab. Uh, gold and resources and sometimes people as the spoils of war. And Paul's saying this is like someone is going to take you captive, literally take you hostage. But again, he's talking about in the, in the realm of your minds. He's saying, dear brothers, dear sisters, take precautions. Do not be taken captive. Well, if somebody's t- trying to take you captive, it's good to know how. How is this trying to take place? What are the the weapons being used to attempt to take us captive. That's the next thing in your outline. What are the weapons of this war? Well, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits or, or principles, depending on your translation, of the world. Well, we need to identify the things that are going to take us captive if we're going to defend against them. So we're here. He says very clearly what the enemy is trying to capture us with that is certain types of philosophies. What's the definition of a philosophy? A philosophy in this context is it can be kind of equated to a way of viewing the world as my philosophy of life or something like that. It's a worldview, a way of viewing the world. So, philosophies and worldviews themselves aren't bad, doesn't the Bible present a way of viewing the world, right? You could say, I have a a biblical philosophy of life, a biblical worldview. So those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but Paul specifically says there are certain kinds of philosophies or worldviews that we should be careful not to be deceived by. And he specifically says these are philosophies or worldviews that are according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits or principles of the world so you may say, you may be asking well I get human tradition maybe but what what does it mean human tradition and principles or elemental spirits of the world well again that phrase elemental spirits or principles depending on your translation in the original Greek is just a one single word and it's stoica right which literally means something that is part of a larger set you're like well so what <laughs> Um and in this, in uh, the New Testament, it's used to mean three different things. And I want you to to listen here. This is a little bit of Bible study, but but listen here. This is important. The word is used to mean three different things. In some places, it means evil spirits that control earthly things. In some places in the New Testament, it's mean to it's used to describe ideas that are part of a particular worldview. So you have beings that are part of a spiritual realm. You have ideas that are part of a particular worldview. And in some places, it means the basic physical components that the universe is made of. Which back in their day would be like wind, water, earth, wind, and fire. Right, Todd? Right? Uh, (laughs) uh, Thank you, older folks who get my earth, wind, and fire joke. Um, But in in their day, they would say these are the elemental uh, uh, elements that made up the world. So let's take these one by one. Which one is Paul warning about? Is Paul saying, don't be taken captive by evil spirits? Is Paul saying, don't be taken captive by the ideas of false worldviews? Is Paul saying, don't be taken captive by things like in our day, molecules, atoms, and quarks, and things like that? Now, this may surprise you, but I honestly think that all three of these can apply to what Paul Is saying, and here's what I mean. Is he talking about evil spirits? Well, evil spirits, according to Jesus, are very real. We have a very real enemy, and he has very real other spirits who all hate our souls because we are created in the image of God and they want to destroy us because they hate the Lord, right? Uh, According to Jesus, those things would, those beings would seek to take us prisoner. You know, the Apostle Paul warns his young protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, he says, Now the Spirit, that is, God the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, catch this, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. So Paul here, in his message to Timothy, tells Timothy how it is these Evil spirits lead people astray. They are deceitful. They teach people false things to lead them away from Christ. So you see how these first two options are married, aren't they? Both evil spirits and false ideas. Now, notice how um, you may have noticed how all the false ideas about God, false ideas about who we are as humanity, false ideas about sin heaven hell and truth itself all reduce mankind and god to being merely either the earth or the universe you may may or may not have noticed this on the one hand you have naturalistic false uh, ideas that say there's no god right that there's only elemental particles of the universe right you don't have a soul you're just you're just uh, you're just you yourself are just a mix of elemental particles, your stardust, right? Of of the universe. Uh, those are the naturalist. You're just a a lucky primate who happened to make it uh, to coalesce over time. And again, you, you don't you're not you don't have a soul, much less are you created in the image of God. that would be the naturalistic um, false view. On the other hand, you have the very Asheville notion that you are the universe and the universe is divine. So you are divine. You are God. Do you see that? So both the naturalistic and the sort of the pagan New Age both would say that you and the universe are the same. They have reduced you to the elemental particles of the earth. And on one hand, it says there is no God. On the other hand, it says you are God. And you would think that, that such two drastic, diff- drastically different views, one that says there's no God at all, and you're pond scum, and the other that says you are God would be at odds with one another, but they're not. It's actually the same false idea, just at two different ends of it. It's both a reduction of God and a reduction of humanity. It's both false doctrines, and spoiler alerts, I believe these are doctrines of demons. I believe these are doctrines of demons. These are the types of things that are at the root of what Paul is talking about here. I think he's talking about all three categories of things. Now, these usually take the form of like slogans or TikTok videos. And you may have heard some of these like at school or somebody showed it to you at work on their phone or TV, social media. You may have heard them in the church. Listen to some of these slogans. Stop believing in fairy tales. There is no God. Now enjoy your life. Follow your own light. You see the two ends of the spectrum here, right? Every person has their own truth. It's up to them to follow. It's more about being your authentic self. All religions are basically the same. We all pray to the same God. We cannot tell someone their belief is wrong. That's intolerant. Manifest your destiny. Put out good vibes in the universe and the universe will bring, in, bring them back to you. Maybe you've seen some of these, Asheville is like the the, the uh, world capital of bumper stickers if you guys ever noticed. And it's always on the back of a Subaru. No no offense to my wife, she, she drives a Subaru. Um, but I'm sure you've read some of these bumper stickers, you know, like the earth doesn't belong to us, we belong to the earth. Love your mother. Speaking of mother earth. In dog we trust. Dog is love. Love is love. We still chant. Right? Have you seen these slogans? Right? Uh, they, there are worldviews underneath and behind that form these slogans. They aren't just slogans. They are worldviews. These are all examples of a way of looking at the world Where there is no creator God, nature or the universe is all that there is, and you are either a cosmic accident or you are, in fact, God, and you make the rules. Um, Again, you may think that those are opposite one another, but they are different perspectives of the same false teachings. Um, The reason that you can know that is because if you notice, this naturalistic, and spiritualistic, for lack of a better term, worldviews, both have a common enemy, have you noticed? Christianity is the common enemy of these two worldviews, sort of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Now sure they have disagreements, but the the real enemy would be Jesus. And so this this seems like, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters, where the demons see the real God as the enemy, who want humans to see the real God as the enemy too. This is this is the upside down world that we, that we live in. These are all examples of philosophy that are according to human tradition. Okay, we talked about the elemental spirits or particles of the world. What does it mean according to human tradition? Where can we go in the word of God and find out the beginning of human tradition? Any guesses, Bible students? Yes, Genesis, thank you so much. We can go back to our first parents, Adam and Eve, from whom all humans are descended and see the tradition of humanity, of of mankind. The tradition of man is to exalt himself or herself into a position of authority over God. That's our tradition. And that was the result of the false teachings of an evil spirit, of the evil spirit, wasn't it? You see where Paul is, is lacing all of these things into what he's saying this is why, by the way, you see the resurgence of things like Satanism, where the enemy, Satan, has made them think he's not real, and neither is God real. Rather, mankind is in essence God, and we get to make our own rules. You see how that works. Satan doesn't care if you don't believe in him, as long as you don't believe in the real God who's actually there. Well, you may have noticed that when we are the determiners of what's right and wrong, everything that we want is suddenly right. And the things that we don't want are suddenly wrong. Isn't that convenient? Again, this, by the way, is a religion. It's the religion called humanism. And again, that's the human tradition, and it started in the Garden of Eden. Obviously, in a, even in a perfect environment, our, inten- our tendency is to become humanistic, to look at ourselves for the answers and for salvation. The worldview that follows the tradition of men eventually pushes God completely out of the picture. This is what Paul is talking about when he's saying, Do not be taken captive. See to it that you not be taken captive according to these things, because there's very little difference in having God be whatever you want God to be and there being no God at all. So Paul is warning us worldviews that deny the real God always lead to death. If you noticed either the real death of human beings, like physical death, or, you know, history has demonstrated uh, that views that deny the real God who's actually there all lead to the, the same things. that could be physical death of, of individuals, the death of societies, and ultimately Death and separating individually uh, spiritual death and separating individuals and societies from the God who made them. Therefore, verse 8, we return to the scriptures. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. In other words, these philosophies and worldviews are human tradition. They're the doctrines of demons. They are not according to Christ. Paul is creating a a, a line in the sand. Here is truth. Here is error. Do not be taken captive by... This is not popular teaching, by the way, in today's society. You can't draw stark lines of truth and error. Well, the Holy Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul is doing that this morning for us. A worldview according to Christ, one that which is true would be a worldview that is based where? Where would you find such a thing? How about the Word of God? How about the Word of God? We we have, right here is one of our first descriptors, biblically rooted. We want to be rooted in the Word of God himself, whether we're talking about science or politics or ethics or history or anything else, We want to have our lenses that through which we view the world to be the word of God. And so we take care not to be deceived, hopefully in any area of, of life. And here's a controversial statement to go on the offensive against these types of worldviews, to go on the offensive in the arena of ideas. Now, um you you may feel like going on the offensive is offensive right you may you may feel like going on the offensive um I I don't want you to hear me saying something I'm not saying I'm not saying that you should be offensive the gospel and the the biblical worldview is offensive it's offensive to me. It tells me I'm a sinner, right? Uh, so me, a sinner, a fellow sinner, just like the person I'm talking to, should not have a haughty attitude or, or be a jerk when we're, we're we're trying to tell them about the love of Jesus, right? Um, so we should go on the offense, but not be offensive ourselves. Um, I, I don't want you to hear me saying that, that we should be, but we, because we love God, and because we love our neighbors, then we want to go on the offensive with these, with against these ideas. Um, and I'd I'd argue that what I'm describing here, going on the offensive in the arena of ideas, is in fact the very definition of spiritual warfare, and it's precisely what we are called to do. Listen to Paul again. Uh, and what he wrote in his second letter to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, if you're a note taker. This is like the passage we go to to hear about spiritual warfare and talk about it, right? Well, let's check it out. Beginning in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We normally stop right there. Paul goes on to describe spiritual warfare and how it is we destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Again, usually we stop at verse 4 when we're talking about spiritual warfare um, and where it says we don't war like nations with bombs and bullets, and it's true, we don't. But how do we fight the spiritual battle, does Paul say? Paul says we, we fight it with ideas. We destroy arguments and opinions. We take thoughts captive. Uh, notice, though, if you're a note taker, we cannot destroy false ideas if we ourselves are deceived. We cannot fight the battle if we ourselves have been taken captive. That's why Paul's warning this morning. That's the point. You can't rescue anyone else if you're the one who's captive. A lot of times we don't realize that we're sitting in the, in, in the prison cell of our minds with people who don't know Jesus because our worldview looks like their worldview. And we, like, we know they, they need the gospel. We share, try to share the gospel with them, but we don't realize that in many ways we're imprisoned with them. And so the gospel doesn't make sense to them when it comes out of our mouth based on the other things that they know we believe or how we live. So you may say, man, we're Christians. We're not in danger of thinking these things, much less acting um, according to any of these thoughts or living by them. Um, well, there's some statistics. Uh, let, me, let me get just a, a little drink of water here. I was, I was singing praises too loud out here at the beginning. Those of you around me are like, yeah, you were too loud. If you're on key, it'd be different. Um, these statistics are back from when I was a church planter, and so they, they've they've aged a little bit. But the bad thing is they've they've gotten worse. But but listen to this: the Barna Research Group conducted a national survey of adults and concluded that only four percent of adults have a biblical worldview as the basis of their decision making. Now, if you look out in the world, you may not be surprised at that—that that there's only of people out there who have a thoroughly biblical worldview. The survey also discovered that only 9% of born-again Christians who regularly attend evangelical church services have a biblical worldview of life. Can I read it again? 9% of born-again Christians who attend evangelical church services have a biblical worldview. Worldview of life. Nine percent. Nine percent of church-going Christians have a worldview, as Paul would say in our text in Colossians, that is according to Christ. Again, th- these stats are, are even worse now, um, but it, it it makes me uh, think of an account. There's a there's a woman named Nancy Piercy who a while ago wrote a, a, an incredible book called Total Truth: Liberating Christianity from Its Cultural Captivity. She tells a story of a of uh, a girl named Sarah who's a young practicing Christian. And she worked for years as a counselor at Planned Parenthood. And she didn't try to talk women out of what they were gonna do, uh, but she was kind of content to make sure that they knew what they were doing. And she said that after graduating, she said this, after graduating college, my Christianity was reduced to a thin veneer over the core of a secular worldview it was almost like having a split personality. So she had she had two lives. She had her Christian life, and she had her everyday life. And some of you may have lived a life or be living a life sort of like that. I'm, I'm kind of Christian in here. I go to my job. I go to my team. I go to my school. That's kind of my, this is my real life, and this is my, my Christian life in here or in uh, MCs or or something like that. And and she had, and maybe you have, or you know someone who has experienced like the, uh, um, a, a worldview that is not according to Christ has, has crept in underneath sort of this veneer. Like I, I, I'm a pretty moral person. I do the right things. I say the right things. I, you know, whatever. But like kind of inside, I didn't know that there was like erosion taking place. In the battle for my mind. You know, everyone has a worldview, a view of the world. But real, again, according to these statistics, relatively few people, even Christians, have a worldview that is according to Christ. Um, it's important because I believe that we live according to what we truly believe. We may be shocked that sometimes we do a certain thing and we're like, how could I do that? I believe this. The question is, how do you really believe that? Do you re- because I believe that we act according to what we truly believe. Um, I could go into some stories about that, but like I'll, I'll just tell you, this is not in my notes. So give me a couple of thirty seconds here. Uh, just an illustration that we we live according to what we believe. Growing up, I had a loose tooth one time, and. My aunt took care of me. She she watched me because my, my mom was working like three jobs or whatever. And so I would stay with my aunt and my cousin was mean. Like all of my cousins are mean. If you're watching, you know it, you know. So have you ever had a loose tooth that was so loose that when you breathe, it kind of, right? It's just loose. And my cousins are like, just, just pull the thing, you know? You're not gonna bleed to death or whatever. And so it, it fell out. It fell out one day. And my cousin, who was, was me, told me when your mom, I talked to your mom, when she picks you up, she's taking that tooth and she's going to get the money from the tooth fairy. I believed him. I believed him. Now, my mom, who had gone without food so I could eat. My mom, who loved me, if you met her now, she's way biased. She loves me. We know this. I believed my cousin over my mom. And so, when my mom came to pick me up, I hid from her. So she was not getting the tooth. Right? A, a false idea had undermined what I knew to be true, and I acted according to the false idea, didn't I? This is how it works. We live according to what we believe to be true. Um, you know, the, this this the Bible tells us in, in Proverbs. That that as a man is in his heart, so is he. As we think internally, so we do. Um, Garbage in, garbage out, right? Garbage in, garbage out. Before we continue, I just want to pause and and make us aware of some training coming up in March. Uh, For three weeks, we're going to have a combined MC uh, here in, in this facility. And we're going to be going over loving God with our minds and a, a, an entire section of that is going to be built on having a solid, solidly biblical worldview. And um, I highly recommend these upcoming sessions. I'll be leading those, and it'll be really interactive and discussionary and probably a little controversial. It's always good to have a little controversy, isn't it, in, in our lives? So um, so I, I, I recommend those to you. Um, so again, we've heard the story of Sarah from Nancy Piercy's book, and Uh, people who are saved and on their way to heaven, it's possible for us to have a religious life and a secular life, whereas God says there's no such thing as sacred versus secular. You realize Jesus constantly taught that every area of our life is sacred to God? These words from Jesus may sound familiar. You're either with me or against me. You're walking in light or darkness, right? This is this is the mode of Jesus. Every area of our life is sacred. And if we fall prey to false thinking, then it produces death in our lives, spiritual death and in the lives of those around us. Uh, so we want to have a good defense to not be taken captive. And we want to have a strong offense, not be offensive, not be strongly offensive, but a strong offense so that we can rescue and protect others and lead them to the truth. Well, we've seen the battle is taking place in our minds. We've taken a look at the weapons. So how do we do this? What's what's the the way forward? I want you to look at the way of the worthy, the way of the worthy. The passage shows us kind of the path forward, how we should walk in, in verses six and seven. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the verse. These verses are it's a very simple formula here, but I think it's very effective. Um, it's because you know Jesus Christ is Lord and you have received him, you're, you're saved, you're, you're in right relationship with God, and verse 9 tells us he's God. Trust him with all your life. Walk in him. That means live daily according to his word, be biblically rooted. First you have to you have to know the Bible to be rooted in it and then obey it. Peter calls the Bible a lamp shining and a dark place. In other words, without it, it is dark. The Bible is all we have. Romans 12:2 if you were here, part of our Roman study says we are transformed how by the renewing of our minds. So realize that your mind is being changed by something. How can we be sure that our minds are being renewed by the word of God? I want to read you um, that 2 Corinthians 10 passage that we were in earlier from a paraphrase called the message. I don't I don't read it in, except for devotion because uh, it's more like a commentary than a translation. But I think he captures it well here, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. Listen to how he words it. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by God. Christ. I think that phrase there, every loose thought, every emotion and impulse in our life structured by Christ. How would you do that? How would you be able to do that is that is if every emotion, every loose thought, every impulse is clicked in with the word of God. If we are biblically rooted. We must be biblically rooted. In other words, the Bible has to be the fertile soil of our thoughts. It has to be the fountain of our emotions. It has to be the unwavering guide for our actions. And we have to make sure that every area of our lives are formed in that way. And so we have to constantly be training our minds for this spiritual warfare, constantly equipping ourselves. Look at at verse seven. He says, you've been taught, essentially, he says, you've been taught the true way and be thankful for God for that and live in it, right? Be rooted and built up and established in it. You've been taught, you know the truth, walk it, live in it, live it out. Um, The question would be, just for you this morning, is it the practice of your life to train your mind biblically? Let's just be honest. Is it the practice of your life to be training your mind here, here's, here's a few questions to, for you to ask in your heart. What is my level of biblical, biblical literacy? What is my level of biblical literacy? How would I rate my then not just knowledge of Scripture, but understanding of the Scriptures? A good way to measure that in your heart and mind is how comfortable would you feel helping someone else understand the Scriptures? Next, how quickly and accurately are you able to read the culture or its ideas? In other words, are you skilled in using God's word as the measuring stick? Is that a skill that you possess? You know, if you grew up in a biblically rooted home, praise God, thank God for your Christian upbringing. You don't have to make things up as you go. You know the truth. The question for you is, Are you engaging your mind? Are you growing in those ideas? Maybe you had a mixed upbringing. Maybe people spoke to you about Jesus with their mouths, but they kind of denied Jesus with the way they lived. Well, I encourage you to be bold and honest enough to seek the real Jesus found in the scriptures for yourself. We'd love to help you do that. If you don't have either one of those backgrounds, maybe all of this is kind of new to you. Well, I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful you're in a church that will, will help you to be grounded and biblically rooted. We're not the light, but we're here to help point you to the light and point one another to the light. We would love the privilege to do that, to help us to be rooted and build, it up, build up and established together in the faith. I want to close with just a, another piece of scripture here. Jeremiah 17 gives us further explanation of what the Christian life looks like. And I love how the NIV words it. I think it got it beautifully. And it paints, contrasts, two different paths to walk down in terms of the battle for our mind. Check this out. This is what the Lord says. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. That's path one. Path two, verse seven. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who trusts is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. May that be true of all of us this morning. My prayer is to help us prepare to engage in the battle for our minds and not be taken captive and to rescue those who have been taken captive. This is the mission of Jesus. He is the rescuer. He is the rescuer. I pray we will join him faithfully as a church on that mission.